Well, welcome to Father's Day at Timber Creek. Welcome to all of our dads and our moms and everybody uh, out there in online land and there in Nacogdoches and here at the broadcast location. We're in a series called Stay Positive. Before we jump into that, I want to let you know that if you're watching online especially, stay towards the end because I'm going to talk about something I mentioned last week called Project Greenlight. Uh, we have an unprecedented opportunity to rescue women and their children from human trafficking globally because of COVID-19. There is an unprecedented opportunity. I'll talk about that more. I've got a seven-minute appeal at the end of this service. So stick with me online. Uh, you don't want to miss it. And then everybody here and in Nacogdoches, we will wrap up Father's Day with a great way to celebrate. I, I think what better way to celebrate a Father's Day than the heart of the father rescuing children that are in bondage. Pretty cool thing. But today we go moving forward with our series, Stay Positive. And our key scripture that we're unpacking bit by bit, piece by piece, layer by layer, is a scripture that is written not on a sandy beach somewhere. Uh, it is uh, written in a dark, dank cell. The apostle Paul has been imprisoned for his belief in Jesus Christ, pushing against the mold, and he is writing a letter to the church of Philippi, this little province in Philippi, and he's writing a letter. He's got the crazy guy over here singing 84 bottles of beer on the, and over here, a guy that who knows if this is his first time or his, his first day or his last day in prison, Paul's in the middle of it, and here's what he writes to the church of Philippi. He doesn't write... This is terrible. Can anybody break me out? Can we pull an Alcatraz situation right here, Clint Eastwood thing? Can we, can we pull a dirty dozen situation? No. Here's what he writes. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And let me say it again because you have to do it again. Because one rejoice isn't enough in this life. Because your rejoicing can be stolen so quickly. And it can be given away so quickly. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Don't be anxious about anything Anything? Yeah, anything. Are you sure about every? Yeah, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Next week, I'm going to unpack this whole idea of praying expectantly and praying with thanksgiving. And what do you do when you pray and then you have to wait? What do you do in the meantime, in the space between what you're hoping for and God responding? What do you do in the meantime? We'll unpack that next week. Prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God and the peace of God which will blow your mind, that's the JY version, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why is it so important to guard our hearts and our minds? Because everything we do flows from our thought life. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. They are wind in your cell the way you Think. And the Bible says be transformed not by the renewing of your behavior, not by washing off some of that stuff and trying to act really good and walk the straight line and keep your ducks in a spiritual row. Behavior is important, but it's not the driver. The way we think affects the way we feel. The way we feel affects the way we act. And the way we act begins to display who we really are from the inside out. And so today I want to jump into rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I want to say rejoice. Now, when I talk about joy, it seems like this may not be the smoothest, easiest uh, connect the dots topic when it comes to a Father's Day. 
But I can tell you that whether you're a, a, a dad, whether you're a mom, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're married again, whatever it looks like, whether you're tired of being married or you're happily married, whatever, this is a, con- this is a concept that deeply affects our ability to be the kind of people God is calling us to be. So this concept of joy, what I want to do today is we're going to unpack three components of joy. Three components, and here they are. How to define it, because a lot of people think about joy in a way that I want to suggest you might be thinking in the wrong direction. How to define it, how to lose it, because the truth is, although joy ought to be an earmark of the Christ follower, there are a couple of Christians, just a couple, like two, maybe four thousand million that, that can lose their joy. And then how do, I really, how do I really find it? Is it biting your bottom lip? Is it singing a certain song? Is it looking yourself in the mirror and coaching yourself up every morning? Those pieces are important. Declarations every morning are important. But how do we really, really find joy? So let's jump in. How to define it? A lot of people think of joy in a lot of different ways. Let me tell you what it's not. You can write these down in your notes. This isn't a blank, but you can write it somewhere. Let me tell you what joy isn't before we talk about what joy is. Joy isn't happiness. Uh, I know that America, this gets us mixed up in, as Americans because we, we, we are very, a, a beautiful document known as the Constitution even has it written in there that we're, we're like existing for life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness and, 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 and the NFL, I know, I know. Like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if we're not careful, our dreams, living the dream, chasing the dream, looking for happiness, these external issues, we, we can define joy as happiness, but happiness isn't joy. So right there in your blanks, what does happiness equal? What, 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 what do we define? If we're going to get to joy, we got to define what happiness is. So happiness, here, here's what it is. Happiness is the confidence that I experience from gaining control, grabbing the steering wheel of life, and that confidence of having the steering wheel to keep my circumstances favorable. The marriage feels good. The job feels good. It's favorable. The money is favorable. The retirement is getting to be favorable. The, the uh, boss is favorable. And life can be chasing down happiness. People are willing to cut corners, are willing to sacrifice years of dedication, are willing to do bad things in order to hang on, to have confidence in what they're gaining control of, to just try and be happy. I read an article the other day, and it was titled, Surefire Components of Happiness. And it gave five surefire components, meaning if you have these, guess what? (laughs) You're gonna be happy. It's gonna feel good. Don't worry. Be happy. It's gonna be great. These are the five, all right? They're not in your notes, but you can jot jot these down. As you find them, you're gonna be happy. Here we go. Possess the basics. Food, shelter, safety, Chick-fil-A. Possess the basics. Gotta have it. Number two, you gotta get enough sleep. Nobody likes you when you don't have enough sleep. You're not you when, you're, when you don't have your Snickers bar. You're not you when you're hungry. You're not you when you didn't sleep as much as you needed to sleep. Relationships that matter, not just piddly wink, you know, hey, how you doing, bud? Hey, I'm doing good. Like, what's his name? I don't know. Hey, how you doing? Relationships that matter. Care 
of others and yourself. There's something that brings a, a, an amount of happiness to us when we're not only taking care of us, but we get to take care of somebody else. There's, there's, a, there's a certain amount of happiness there. And then the fifth one, work that excites and engages. Now, warning, watch it, back up, stop, hang on. Because more than half of the world that you and I live in will never have half of these five. There are people even in the 4% of the population of the globe known as the United States of America, 4% of the population that don't have several of these every single day. People in your own neighborhood, believe it or not, don't have the, the basics are, are dicey for next month. Not getting enough sleep. They, 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 relationships have soured. This relationship that was bringing them so much happiness, now has, there's been a wound, there's been a, 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 a violation. The care of others and yourself, as much as you keep giving to them, they don't seem to give back and it kind of gets frustrating that nobody, nobody really appreciates all you do around this house. Nobody appreciates what you do at work. I bet they'd appreciate me if I was gone. And the care for others and yourself can wane. Work that excites and engages. Like some people, you're just working just to get that paycheck. Work that excites and engages. Are you kidding me? Have you met my boss? And most of the world struggles with just a very simple one of clean water. Clean water. And so what happens is when we don't have those surefire components of happiness, something else we begin to experience that is a, a, almost like a, a, it's a thief of our joy, okay, is this little word called suffering. Now, suffering has levels. Suffering has, has strengths to it. Suffering um, can be what you feel when you reserved a certain room at the Holiday Inn and you said king size bed and they gave you double beds and you're like, I'm not leaving here until I talk to a manager. I said king size bed. While other people are in civil war globally, you got a third world problem, you got a first world problem. I mean, it won't get under 72 degrees in the air conditioner at your hotel. What in the world? And it's like, these people get malaria by mosquitoes. and We don't have a king-size bed. I don't mean to belittle that. But just understand, suffering can be felt in different ways. And we need to understand the depth of it. But we also need to understand the definition of it. And so here's what suffering is. On all kinds of levels, suffering is when those favorable circumstances that keep me confident, when those favorable circumstances go away. When they kind of, and you're gone, they're lost. Oh, I thought I had money in the bank to do that. Oh man, now I gotta pay it on the credit card. The, the favorable circumstance goes away. The relationship says, I just, you know, I just, I, I, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. The favorable circumstance goes away. Now, here's what's interesting about suffering. If we're going to live the American dream versus God's dream alone, it's okay to chase liberty, life, happiness. It's okay to have that as far as some to-dos. But if we're going to really chase God's dream for us, okay, we're going to need to understand suffering's going to happen whether you like it or not, but there's another way to look at suffering. 
Suffering isn't just favorable circumstances going away. Here's the paradox of suffering. Doesn't make sense, I know, but God gives us an upside down life, an upside down kingdom where the God of the cosmos sends his one and only son to be born in a barn. He leaves heaven for a manger. What? It's, it's upside down. Jesus, who's gonna die on the cross, shouldn't he like kick Pilate out of the throne and sit down with his, with his royal scepter and his gold crown? Shouldn't that be the way? But, but, but no, the king of the earth kills the king of the world? How, how does that even work? And, he, and instead of living, he's dying? That's upside down. Before he goes to the cross, he, he doesn't get like a love offering from the disciples. In fact, he, he pulls a, a towel out of the kitchen and he washes their feet. Our, our king that, that loves us so much doesn't say, serve me now, juggle, make me laugh, make me feel good but he gives everything for us. Whoa, what a paradox. And so there's a paradox in suffering and it's this, it is a catalyst for joy. It actually can supercharge. It can give nitrous oxide to your joy. Unlike worldly happiness, Christian joy can actually grow your relationship with Jesus. The apostle Paul says in the constitution for the Christian, the book of Romans, he says it like this, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. We joy again. We joy again. We build up our joy in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, we're looking out here and we know God's going to show up. And as we wait, we rejoice. We build ourselves up knowing that God's going to do something. He's not necessarily doing it right now, but we're hoping in the glory of God, that the glory of God's going to show up. That's one way that you guys, that we together build joy. But not only that, Paul the Apostle says, but we also rejoice in our what, everybody? Sufferings. What? I thought we'd just rejoice in the hope. No, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that when you suffer, it produces endurance. It's like getting out there and running your very first mile. You, I'd never be able to run a mile, and, and you, but, but you do it. And all of a sudden, that endurance produces character, and you say, I think I could do that again. And then that character produces hope. Whoa, look at it. Look at it. When you have the hope and the glory of God, you rejoice in that. Just know part of the cycle of getting hope in God, there is gonna be focusing. It's gonna be rejoicing in the hope. There's suffering and endurance and then character. And then guess what? Hope again. There's gonna be a cycle. In order to get to hope, you gotta go through suffering. In order to get to hope, you're gonna go through suffering again. Some of you are in the cycle and it's rejoicing right now. Some of you are in the cycle and it's endurance right now and it's sweat on the brow. And some of you, you've gone through the, divert, the endurance and you've built the dis discipline and it's strengthening your character and you're gaining that hope, but suffering is on its way. It's just a part of life. The Bible says it rains on the unjust and the just. In other words, there's suffering for all of us. No matter how hard the prayers you pray, don't be anxious about it, pray about it, but no, you're gonna suffer through it at times. You're gonna deal with suffering. So understanding happiness, understanding suffering steals it, it, the favorable circumstances, but knowing that it can also be a catalyst for joy, what is joy? If you wanna write this down, what does joy equal? So here's where we're working towards. Joy is the assurance, the, the safety, the, the warm blanket, the leaning up against the brick wall, knowing there's no way the weight that you place on it, that brick wall is not going anywhere. You, it's going to hold 
you up. You don't have to check it. You don't have to wonder. There's an assurance that I experience from knowing, loving, and trusting God, regardless of my circumstances, whether they be favorable or not, whether they be good or bad, whether they be consistent or inconsistent, whether I possess the basic needs or relationships that matter or relationships that have soured and I'm wondering where the next paycheck is gonna come from, I can have assurance in a God of the universe that I know, I love, and I trust because I wanna tell you, he knew you first. He loves you before you ever even trusted him. So what I'm trying to do is situate this difference between happiness and joy. Happiness and joy. So happiness really depends on happenings, what happens to you, but joy is your job. My job is my joy. It's not your spouse's, just make me happy. Make me joyful. Now, Janet. I said, Janet. Now, Janet, make me happy. My joy is my job. Some of you, that's what you're struggling in in your marriage. You're expecting the other person to make you joyful. It's your job. Happiness starts from the outside, the things that I can collect, the the way people treat me, the stuff that I see, the stuff that I have. Happiness is on the outside. Joy starts from the inside and works its way outward. Happiness is based on chance. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't, who knows? Joy Joy is based on choice. I'm choosing every day to be joyful and allow the joy of the Lord to be my strength. Happiness is in circumstances that are favorable, but joy is rooted in Christ. You know, moms have done this. Um, dads, not so much. You know, it's like, it's not our job. That's um, a joke. But when mom says to their kids, no, 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 don't eat that sugar. You're, you're gonna ruin your appetite. We're gonna have lunch in an hour. And if you eat, if you eat that now, you're not gonna be hungry. And then you're gonna be whining the rest of the day and being, being hungry and I would have given it to you. And then you, you know, and then it starts this whole thing. Just, just me? Okay, never mind. Why? Because empty calories will mask, will mask your hunger for the right nutrients. Sugar will mask you from what you really need to bring nutrients to your body. And what circumstances are, favorable circumstances and happiness, it's okay to have it. It's okay to have some sugar. But just know, if you're not careful, chasing after that sugar rush of happiness will mask the necessary, the necessary calories that you need from a relationship grounded in Christ. So that's how we define it. How do you lose it? Because like I said, there are a lot of people, even in the locations today, you love Jesus, but when I say joy, you, you, get, you get antsy. When, when I say joy, you say, that'd be nice. When I say joy, it actually almost, you may even get defensive because I don't know your situation. You don't know what I had to go through. You don't understand this, the, 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 the issue. We can lose it in a lot of different ways. Here are just a, here are just a few of the many but there's some key ways you can write these down. A way that I lose my joy, selfishness. Now, you would think that if joy is my job and that joy is a choice, I've got to be focused about getting my joy. But if you're not careful, the whole idea of chasing joy actually counteracts the ability to get joy. Because you, you really understand that even Jesus and his joy was more about you than it was about himself. There is a servant-heartedness that comes that produces joy. 
Look at what the brother of James says. He says, where do all the fights and quarrels among you come from? This is James chapter four. Where do all the fights and quarrels among you come from? Okay, well, they come from my spouse. <laughs> um, maybe that's how you would fill in the blank. Oh, uh, they come from my boss. They come from having more month left at the end of the money. Where do my fights and quarrels come? They come from your desires, the book of James says, which are constantly fighting with your bodies. Even the disciples who went to pray with Jesus for an hour before he was betrayed, they couldn't even pray an hour. And the Bible says the flesh was weak, the spirit was willing, but their desire was to sleep. They weren't getting enough sleep. They just wanted to have a surefire component of happiness. And what happens is you strongly desire things, but you cannot get them. And so what do you do? You quarrel and fight. And this isn't just about things like physical, tangible things like that new car. It's that respect you feel like when she says it that way, she's not respecting you. When, if they really understood the hard work you put in, they would consider you for the promotion and not just this guy who sugarcoats everything and actually cuts corners. And the things you desire, you don't get them and it causes quarrels and fights and it will steal your joy. You want to know how to, you know how to stop an argument between a husband and a wife, everybody? You want to know how to start, stop it? Here's, the, here's what you say, okay? I'm going to give you a secret. Don't tell Janet. She's not in this service today. But here's, here's, how, here's, how I, here's how I win all the fights, okay? When I say this, here's how I win it. I say, you know what the problem is here? She goes, what? I'll tell you what. Tell me what. Well, I'll tell you. Well, tell me. I'm waiting. I say, I'm not getting what I want. That's a joke, everybody, but that's it, but that's it because that's what starts your quarrels and your fights. You're not, get, you're not getting the kind of respect or you don't feel loved or you didn't get the, the focus and their attention is on their phone instead of on your story or the, the financial thing. No, you said you weren't gonna spend that. Why'd you spend that? I'm not getting what I want. So what we have to do is we have to figure, can I give you one little key to a, a, a better marriage? Not a perfect marriage, but a better marriage. If you can figure out how to out better relationships, period, outserve one another. Let the goal not to be out talk with another. Oh, that 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 fish I caught. <laughs> oh yeah, well it was. Uh, I, I caught a big old delicious bass. It was like, you know, like you you try and out talk each other, out story each other, outserve one another, outserve each other. I promise you. You 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 like there's something powerful in relationships when we try to outserve each other. Selfishness though, it'll steal your joy resentment resentment can also cause suffering but the suffering actually chokes out the kind of suffering that would produce joy and it, and it produces a suffering that doesn't go anywhere it doesn't build endurance it doesn't build character it doesn't build hope it builds grudges and walls and bitterness and unforgiveness and callousness hebrews 12 says it like this watch out that no bitterness takes root among you for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. When we are hoping in the, hoping in the glory of God, but yet we're hanging on to something, you're hanging on to that hurt. And the only way to really, really understand joy is you have to start releasing. The only way joy can be held in that same hand is if you release that person that's wounded you but I want them to know how I felt. Them knowing how you felt is not going to give you joy. It's not gonna feel, it's gonna be, it may, you may feel happy, 
but it's going to be calories that is a sugar rush, and it'll, you'll be empty at lunch. Here's another one, uncontrolled emotions. When you just, you just, that's the way I roll. It's just the way I was wired. You better understand my Enneagram, my MBTI, golden retriever, lion, beaver, whatever. That's my assessment. Can I tell you something? If you do not claim Jesus as the center of your life or as your savior, you can have out of control emotions every single day. Go for, go for it. Like, let, let's see if you can out, you, let's see if you can have out of control emotions stronger than the next person on Facebook, okay? Let's see if you can do it. Have a competition. But if you're a Christ follower, you, do, you, you give up the right to live out of control in your emotions. And you see it. Even, even when you're right about something, when, you're, when your emotions get out of control, you become wrong. Peter, Peter, the night Jesus is betrayed, Peter, praying for an hour, but then falling asleep, but then getting back up, and all of a sudden he hears the... That was horses, for those of you that... was gallops. Peter jumps up and says, JC, they're coming! And the guys dismount and they start walking towards Jesus and Peter goes Mike Tyson on one of the soldiers, takes an ear, you know, Mike Tyson, with a knife, with a dagger. I want to tell you something. I think the reason why he cut off, a, uh, off an ear and not his head, I think he was going for a head, but he's a fisherman, not a soldier. He, he, don't, he don't know how to fight. He probably, has, he probably has a fillet knife for fish, not a sword. So of course, oh, get his ear, bless God. And Jesus doesn't say, thanks for backing me up. No. In fact, Jesus has to step in and heal somebody. Well-meaning follower of Jesus, with an out-of-control emotion, Jesus has to step in and bring healing. Don't be like that. Out-of-control emotions will never produce God-honoring fruit in my life. Let me say it again. Out-of-control emotions will never produce God-honoring fruit in my life. If you have a pen... If you take notes, write it down. It's not in your notes. Here it is one more time. I'm going to give it to you. Out of control emotions will not produce God-honoring fruit in my life. Here, here's another one, though. It's living with a morally restrained heart instead of a supernaturally changed heart. This will steal your joy. You will lose it, and you won't know where to find it. If you live with a morally restrained heart instead of a supernaturally changed heart. What do I mean? Well, let, let, me, give you, let me give you an illustration. Uh, would you do that for me? Thank you. <laughs> Good arm there, Michaela. Good arm. All right. <laughs> so, she's been, she been working out the other arm. <laughs> uh, so, so, this is my heart. This is my heart. And uh, I love my heart, <laughs> pet my heart. Okay, no, this is my heart. And even when you get saved, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, good people will restrain themselves morally. You're not, following, you're not a follower of Christ, but you want to be a good person, right? That's called moral restraint. And here's what, when it comes to our heart, here's what moral restraint looks like. That instead of saying what I wanted to say to Julie in accounting, I'm going to restrain my heart because everything I do flows out from it. I'm going to restrain my heart. 
and I'm going to tell three people, oh, I'm, I, I was going to tell her, uh, blah, 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 but I'm, I'm going to be a good person and not say it. No, you're just saying it to four other people. I'm going to restrain my heart and I'm going to hold it in. And I want to tell you, it, is, it takes unbelievable strength to walk around focused on trying to restrain yourself all the time. And so what Jesus invites us into is not a life that knows about Jesus and then still just tries to be a good person. He wants to give the same spirit that raised him from the dead inside of your heart, that his spirit would live inside of you and supernaturally change your heart. One attitude, one day, one emotion at a time. Because there comes a point where you're focused on this strength, when you start having to look at this and do this and do this and do this, what happens when all of a sudden you get busy and you lose the moral restraint and you snap at your kids? You lose the moral restraint and you did that act that you used to do a long time ago and it's been months and you can't believe that you did that, you went back to that, you, you smoked that, whatever. I can't believe I went back to that because you were living morally restrained but you don't have enough strength and I wanna tell you, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's what gives us a supernaturally changed heart. Here you go, Michaela. <laughs> I just hit a grandma, Nacogdoches. Just hit a grandma. She's passed out. We'll call her slain in the spirit over there. Bless her, God. Bless her. Bless her. All right. All right. I got to rush. Here we go. So that's, what it, that's how we define joy. The assurance I have, knowing, loving, and trusting God, regardless of my circumstances. Proverbs 3 says it like this, lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's what, that's what joy really comes from. Leaning on him, leaning on the everlasting arms of Christ. All right, How's, how do you lose it? You lose it being selfish, resenting, holding. Drinking bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting them to die for it, expecting them to get sick over it. And you're resenting, you're just drinking poison. Living with a morally restrained heart versus Jesus. Can you just once a more? Do you know why this is so important? Consistency in, in the church house. Not because it's what you're doing. It's not the behavior of it. It's the, it's the environment of changing the way you think to affect the way you feel, to engage the way you act. That's why we gather together as a church body. Think, feel, act to deal with these things. So how do you really find it? Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, what I'm about to say is another paradox. Like, it seems counterintuitive what I'm gonna tell you to focus on in order for you to get joy. It's weird. I, I ain't gonna lie, it's weird. But if, if, if you'll focus on it, if you'll embrace it, you'll find it. You'll find it. So here, here's the, the, the first thing we do. Embrace the magnitude of your debt. Embrace the magnitude of your debt. Debt drives people bananas these days. It's not a sin to have debt. Debt is like a brick, right? It's amoral. It's not, there's not, it's like, oh, that, that brick is a sin. No, debt is a brick. You can build a house with it or you can throw it through a plate glass window. It can be good or bad. It's how you use it. What is important. But you need to understand the magnitude of your debt. And I, and I, no, I don't think there's anybody in America, especially walking around like, ha, I've got more debt than I know what to do with. It's so amazing. Like, I, I am drowning. I don't know if I'm going to have the house next week or not. But hey, 
roll it, baby. Like, like nobody's like drowning in debt saying, woo-hoo, jump in, the water's fine. No, debt is too much of it is suffocating. It's restricting. It's like, oh my, I cannot believe this is due again. And, and it feels like it might sink you. When you have too much of it, it feels like it's like holding you underwater and you don't know. That's how debt is. 80% of divorces cite money fights or money problems. 80%. Wow. Issues. Money, money's an issue. Janet and I were driving by the church the other day. And we noticed that somebody must have had a back of a truck open or the dumpster or whatever, the, the, the trash truck. But there was trash littered all throughout the front of the Lufkin location, just, just everywhere. And it was a Saturday, and, I, and, and, and Janet said, oh, that looks terrible. I said, I know, somebody ought to do something about that. And we just drove on and went to Dairy Queen. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, I said, oh, man, we, we need to... Is it okay if we stop? She said, absolutely. And so we pulled into the parking lot, and for about 20 minutes, we walked through the ditch of the broadcast location picking up trash. Now, thankfully, it was like the trash you want to pick up, uh, that, that you don't mind picking up. It's not like, you know, uh, empty, <laughs> like half-eaten half uh, Chick-fil-A sauces and stuff like that. It would be all sticky and slimy and nasty. Uh, it, it was, most of it was unopened mail. Most of it. And it was several of them were, you could see in the, in the as I opened it up and read it. No, I'm kidding. As, a, as you look through the window, they were pink. They were, they were pink. So if you've ever, if you've lived life and, and been a little late before, you know what that means. That's not like, mm, happy Valentine's Day. No, that means, oh, you're late. Watch out. Center point's about ready to cut off your gas. Okay. And you need to pay that. And there were dozens of bills that were unopened and pink. Obviously, the weight of having that debt, they must have just been throwing it away. Or they were driving by the church and like, Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, I'm giving you, Jesus, I'm laying my burdens at the cross. I don't know. I don't know what it was. May accident or on purpose. But that's what happened. The more, the more debt you have, it can be hard to even open a bill. Back in 2004, Janet and I were swimming in debt as, as newlyweds. And we determined then that we were going to get out of debt. And for many, many years, other than our house, we've lived debt-free. And the, the, the freedom that comes living debt-free. We don't have everything we want. We have a lot of great stuff. We are so blessed. We're so blessed with two great jobs, blessed with a great church family, blessed with wonderful kids. It is a great dad day for me. But, but we had to work to get to that place. Let me show you the debt I'm talking about, though. I'm not talking about MasterCard. Romans 5. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Most people would not. Like, you look across this room. There's some people in this, in this auditorium that honestly, and you look in Nacogdoches, most people in this room you would not die for. And even though I love you and I'm your pastor, and I pray for you, and I believe in God's best for you, um, I'm not for sure if that's my role to die for you. You're good people. You're upright people. I don't know if that's God's role for me to die for you. The scripture goes on to say, though, someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Now, even though they don't behave especially good all the time, I would die for my children. I would die for my kids. I would, 
I would die for my spouse. I would die for my kids, for sure. For sure, I would die for my kids. No, I, I know my wife would, would do the same for our children. <laughs> but God showed his great love for us, not because you were especially good, and not because you were even upright. In fact, he sent Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, like we were, we, were, we were ignoring God. We were mocking God. We turn a cold shoulder. We raise a finger to God. And while we were still sinners, he dies for us. And so since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's wrath. That's your debt. And that is my debt. And it's way bigger than any financial debt you could feel. And when you understand the magnitude of that kind of debt that has been paid for you, the only debt that could truly, really sink you has been canceled. The greatest debt in humanity that you owe, that you can't pay, has been paid for you. Canceled. Because God's wrath, it's not like he's cranky. It's not like he's like, I don't like that. He's not, he, he has a judicial opposition to evil. He is holy. And sin will not stand in his presence. And you and I are sinners. And so Jesus covers our sin by his sacrifice. And now because we stand in front of God, if it weren't for Jesus, all he would see is sin and all we would deserve is his wrath because that's the magnitude of our debt. But thanks be to God that he demonstrated his love. This is the good news, everybody, that while we were still sinners, he pays it. You go off on vacation and you have your neighbor house sit your house. And when you come back, they had collected the mail and they said, hey, you had a pink slip in there. And, and, and I just happened to open it and I paid for it for you. I just wanted you to know. How would you respond to that? Hey, don't open my mail, dude. That may be one step. But if you know him well enough and you trust him, that may not even be an issue. If they were paying like leftover stamp money, like 37 cents, the post you know, mailman came and said, hey, this one owes you, know, oh, I got that. I paid that bill for you. Oh, hey, thanks, <laughs> appreciate it. But let's say the IRS finally caught up with you. <laughs> you've, been, you've been running and dodging and you got a big old bill that's come due. They were gonna come and take your house and your neighbor said, what's it going to take? Oh, it's going to take $62,000. And your neighbor, I, I wrote a $62,000 check. Can I just say that some of us would fall to our knees and worship the feet of that neighbor, not understanding that that is a drop of water in the ocean of payment Jesus has made for you. Embrace the magnitude of your debt. And all of a sudden, knowing, loving, and trusting God doesn't come from being a morally restrained person. It comes from a supernaturally changed, grateful heart. Embrace the magnitude of his pain. He didn't just like say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna Venmo you. I'm gonna Venmo you your forgiveness. When the disciples were about ready to see Jesus leave, he kept saying, I'm going away. And they said, where are you going? And he said, well, I gotta go away. I'm coming back, but I gotta go away first. And they said, what do you mean? And here's what he says in John 16. Jesus says this. It, you know what? It's gonna be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. 
when her child is born, her anguish, her suffering, gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. It's amazing how quickly a demeanor can change in a woman in the middle of contractions and labor who then is finally there and they hear the cry and there's this, oh, and this product that caused so much anguish, give him to me, give her to me, give him to me, give her to me. And there's just this joy that takes place. That's what Jesus did for you. Do you know that back then they would have understand this in a different way because one out of three women who would give birth in this time period would die in child labor. One out of three would die. So this is a big deal. This is the kind of joy that gives way. And Jesus said it later in Hebrews. He saw the joy ahead of him. Joy ahead of Jesus. He saw it. He didn't have it, but he saw it. And so he endured the death on the cross. Why? So his joy would be complete? No, 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 no. So your joy could be complete. He went through the cross. Understand the magnitude of his pain. Finally, embrace the magnitude of his plan. The very first word we get about this good news of Jesus Christ coming to earth starts in a shepherd's field. And you know those shepherds, they were the lowest of the low. They probably weren't getting enough sleep. They probably didn't know where their basics were gonna come from next. I don't know if they had relationships that mattered or not. I do know they probably didn't have work that excited or engaged them. They were like, you know, shepherds. But in the middle of a field with unknown people, it wasn't at the palace with royalty, it was at the lowest of the low, an angel shows up and in Luke 2 we see The angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great, what everybody? That will cause great joy for all the people, not just you shepherds, all the people, none of you in this room, none of you online, none of you in Nacogdoches, nobody, no matter what you've done, what you're doing right now that nobody knows about, nobody is disqualified from experiencing joy. It's for all people. It's still a gift. It's your debt, but he pays it. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. When Janet and I had our first, when I became a father, my first real Father's Day was on June 26, 2003. When I became a dad for the first time, Sage, after 14 hours of labor, Janet finally had to go to cesarean. She came out in that surgery Oh, I mean, hair everywhere, eyes wide open. I'm like, ah, she's looking right at me. It's crazy. She began to cry like two seconds. <laughs> That's it. And then she was the best baby ever. It was crazy. It reeled us in to have Graham. When Graham was born, ah, 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 for hours, hours, totally different. But look, Sage was born to me. Sage was born to Janet. She wasn't born to you. She's not yours. She's ours. She's ours. She got a little boyfriend. She's, she's, she's ours. <laughs> but the angel says, this baby isn't born to Mary and Joseph. This baby's born to you, to all of us. Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, embrace his plan. He's for everybody. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And so the shepherds leave where they are. I don't know what happened with the sheep, but they left the sheep. They went to find it. And sure enough, in Bethlehem, they found a baby in swaddling clothes, in, in cloths, in a manger. Whoa, the savior of the world. It was like the angel had said, but can I tell you something? 
The joy wasn't the scene. And the joy wasn't the sign to them. Joy was in it, but joy wasn't it. In other words, joy isn't the fact that Jesus was a baby. Joy isn't the fact that there is a cross. Joy is the fact that that baby grew up in favor and wisdom with God and with man and lived sinless life, a perfect sacrifice, died on the cross. It's not the image of the cross that brings joy. It is what happened on the cross through that sign, not the sign itself. Putting a gold cross around your neck on a necklace isn't going to give you joy. But when you can focus on the debt and you can focus on the pain and you understand the plan, joy isn't the sign itself, but it can flow through it. And so I finish with this. If I'm lost in the woods with some friends, we went hiking and we got lost. I don't know where to go and it's getting dark. All of a sudden I come up to a clearing and there's a signpost and there's directions on it. It's happened before, last year in Broken Bow. We came up to a sign, four or five of us. I mean, it, we, we had been lost a while. We had our kids with us. We, I was starting to think, which kid are we gonna eat first? <laughs> and it was my friend's kids, you know? <laughs> but but uh, when we got to that sign, we all went, woo, yes! Uh, we're high-fiving each other pre-COVID, you know? Like, like woo, yes! Yeah, we made... But joy wasn't in the sign, but joy flowed through the sign because we were on track. We were heading somewhere. And I want to tell you, relationships are signs. Your work is a sign. Marriage is a sign. The money can be a sign, but joy can flow through it. It's not it. So friends, make my joy complete, Paul says, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That's how you get a complete joy. And that purpose is Jesus loves you so much he pays the debt you could not pay and man when you think about it it builds up a lot of joy and that's what brings me to one purpose project green light just two weeks ago i got a phone call from a missionary friend and i'm not going to be able to use names because we're streaming this online but a global partner that we have in nine different countries that is their key focus is rescuing, rescuing women and their children from human trafficking. I have been overseas and visited a few of our locations to meet and partner. I never place an opportunity in front of you that I haven't vetted. I take it very seriously. As a matter of fact, I can count on one hand, less than five fingers over my six years of being the pastor here that we've had a special offering. We don't, we don't kill people with special offerings. We don't, we don't do that. Just because you give every week we budget for these things because you give every week. Be faithful every week. But there are opportunities that come once in a while. Once in a while. These are the women, some of the women that have been rescued. Thousands have already been rescued and a whole life started brand new. This is my friend Amanda. She was a prostitute. She was rescued by this global initiative. She now has been restored. She is teaching cosmetics to other women that come out, showing them how to get a beautician certificate so that they, instead of having to sell themselves, they can begin to do hair and do makeup and make a difference, and they're learning something new, and it's a total transformation. This is my friend Julie. Julie was sold by her brother from Cambodia, put on a train, told that she was going to go to her uncle's house and be a nanny. 
She was drugged. She woke up in the brothel. And for 15 years, she served in a brothel until finally our global partner was showing love in a practical way day by day by day by day. And she began to know and love and trust. And finally, the joy of the Lord became her strength and she was able to get out. And now Julie leads the program that goes and gets the women and the children and builds, the medical, you know, builds that relationship through medical needs. I've shown this picture before, but these are four girls who grew up in brothels underneath the little beds. The beds are elevated, built in by a little eight by 12 space. And the client will be on the bed and the kids will be underneath the bed. And these four were there. They went through our global partnership with this ministry and they graduated, grew up. These four, every one of them have a master's degree. Uh, one of them, I'll call her Susie, got to meet and talk with Susie the last time I was there. Um, she is working on a passport to come here and share her story in churches to raise awareness. Wow, talk about redemption. Talk about joy. Every single child you see in this picture, listen to me. Every child you see in this picture has been rescued from a brothel. These are not, these are not rich kids at a private school but they are getting the absolute best education in this country because these kids matter. Every single one of them, you've been a part in the past, helping clothe them, feed them, house them, get, break the cycle of generational slavery. Modern day slavery still exists, everybody. We caught up with them, I've shown this video before, but it's an, a minute and 50 seconds that is worth our time now they're dreaming instead of wondering how they're going to get out of this hell hole, not even even realizing the kind of hell they're in. Now these kids are dreaming big, big dreams. Take a look. I want to study further and become an astronaut. Through my discoveries, I want to amaze the world. To become a businesswoman, in that I want to do chartered accountant. I want to be a social worker. And through my works, I will impact the nation. I want to study further because I want to become a pianist. As music makes me happy, I want others to be happy through my music. I have not yet decided, so I'm still thinking what I will do. I want to become a doctor. I want to serve people who are suffering from severe diseases. I want to do my best to save them. I love math. I like to solve problems. I want to become a good football player. I want to play for my country and BTC and make them proud. I didn't think much about that, but I want to become astronaut, creative thinker in a marketing. I want to become a designer. I want to be a teacher because I want to teach poor children and weak students because they don't get opportunities to study. I want to become a doctor so that I may reach medical needs of the people who cannot afford much. There are many studies to study, but I'm scared, but I think I can do it. I like study because teacher giving very easy, easy answer. I want to become police because I want to catch all the criminals and put them in jail and punish them. Can you give it up for big dreams, everybody? Let me tell you what we're, let me tell you what we're not doing today. Here's what we're not doing. We are not buying their freedom. 
We're not buying their freedom because it's already been given. We don't save people, we serve people. Jesus saves, we serve people. But their God-given potential is our mission. And because of the coronavirus and strict laws in two of the countries, the brothels have shut down because nobody's out because it's so strict. There's no money being made. And so these brothel owners are sending away the women and children because they don't want to have to feed them and deal with them. So they are being freed because they're a hassle, not because of the abundance of the heart of a brothel owner. And they're leaving, but they've got nowhere to go because this is all they've known. And so they've reached out to us because we show love in a practical way. And we are finding special places to open up because, because in un, unprecedented numbers, we have a window of opportunity to rescue them. Just in the last two weeks, a couple pastor friends of mine, a dozen or so pastor friends, they, they're a week ahead of us and already we've received together in a, in a team that I'm with, $842,000 to rescue women and their children. So let me break it down so you understand. Right now, because of our global partner, you and I can provide health care for a mom and kids at $42 a month. How many of you would like to have that insurance plan, right? Food, clothing, rent, and essentials, $129 a month. Did you hear that? For, that, that that's for a month. Vocational training for a woman to give her the skills so that she doesn't have to find herself ever going back. $826 pays for her entire vocational training. From starting a business, it also gives them the seed money to kick off the business. Four months of that is 1,546. A third of the year, $1,546. Wow. And you and I don't have to do everything, but I, I do believe you and I should do something. Two families is $3,000. 100 families is $154,000. Do you see that? That already we've been able to rescue close to 600 families because of the joint effort of the local body of Christ. Right now, before I've even done an appeal, just people coming to me, a letter in the mail to me from last week, I mentioned it for a couple minutes. We're already right here being able to take care of 25 families before I've even asked you to give. God's so faithful. But what I want to invite you to do is not let your arm be twisted by a pastor. We don't do that here. We don't do that. But we do show you how to engage generosity, and here's how you do it. You pray, Jesus, would you like me to be a part of this? And then listen. And if Jesus says no, then obey. I doubt he's going to say no. Jesus, what do you want me to do? If he says do something, do it. Don't hold back. Do it. And from now until July 5th, we're going to be receiving special offering from here to Independence Day. What a cool way to celebrate the Sunday after Independence Day, huh? Independence of, from human trafficking, wow. What better way to celebrate Father's Day than the heart of a father rescuing children 
and he can use us to do it. So here's how, here's how we do it. We're not even passing an offering plate today. We're not doing that because of social distancing stuff right now. You can go to online, you click on giving, and this pops up. This is our, this is our secure account. And right here, you can choose the amount that you would like to give. You then would click give one time. If you want to set up recurring on this particular thing, you can. This is above and beyond our tithes and our offerings, our everyday stuff. This is a special offering. If you've never given, you're like, oh, I've never given. I don't know if I should. This might be a great way that, that you'd like to start giving just through a special thing. And then you would click on Project Greenlight because you'll click there and it'll say Lufkin Campus, Nacogdoches Campus, Iglesia Campus, and then Project Greenlight. And as I was preparing this morning, I came across this verse that I thought would be a great ending on this. Isaiah 35, the people the Lord has freed will enter Jerusalem with joy. Their gladness and joy will fill them completely and sorrow and sadness will go far away. When we give, we get to be a part of God's freedom plan. And so Nacogdoches, it's going to look a little different today. Instead of Pastor Dan dismissing you, when I begin to pray, he's going to go to the lobby with, with Laura and they'll greet you out there. We're going to give online and give in the offering boxes with checks if that's what you want to do. And you have a couple weeks to give. You don't have to give right now. Nobody's strong arming. You know, do it right now in the next 20 seconds. We're not doing that. But I am going to pray over both locations. And so Nacogdoches, right where you are in Lufkin broadcast, would you guys, would everybody just stand where you are, but stay where you are? Just like that. Just like that. Stand where you are, but stay where you are. And let's end this Father Day, Father's Day with a freedom prayer. How about it, everybody? With a freedom and joy prayer. Does that sound like a good idea, Nagadoch? Does that sound good, like a good idea, Lufkin? Come on, pray with me. Father, thank you that you are a God of freedom. You are a God of joy and you make our joy complete. Nothing in this world will ever complete it except you. And God, we thank you that if we found ourselves in slavery to sin, you bring us freedom and joy away from the sorrow and sadness. And so we invite you to do whatever you can do in our hearts first. And then God, through us, that we would be able to make a difference, make the difference in men and women all across the world, but especially the women and children right now that we're going to help see set free from generational bondage we thank you lord we get to we don't got to we get to give and may that bring you and us great joy we ask it all in the mighty wonderful name of jesus and everybody everywhere said amen what well, god